0: Try and think for a moment what the most important word, if you had to pick a word out of the Bible, like what would be the most important word in Scripture? Just this like, thing, like just to my grace, love, love, right? Big, huge word, salvation. I mean, there's some big words. Mercy, yeah, some really, guys, really good, really good word. But I'm going to give you one more that I think trumps it all, that's bigger, and I think God was here. He's, he would tell you that about himself, and it's the word glory. It's the word glory. It's, it's, it's a difficult word because we use it in Christendom all the time. You know, give glory to God. I want my life to glorify God. We're going to glorify him. And so I just, we want to take a moment here and talk about glory. And not your glory, not our applause, not our greatness, but God's greatness. And so that we can govern everything in our life based on that compass north that everything is about him and not about us. Now, in return, he thinks we're important, and he cares about us, and he's, he knows every detail of your life, and so is he engaged in your life? Yes, but he's central to everything, and nothing makes sense apart from him. So you know some of the background story. There was a guy named Moses. You've heard of Moses. Um, he was called out he had been shepherding for about forty years, and God called him. And maybe you saw the movie Moses. And from this bush that looked like a consuming fire that did not burn, God called Moses out to go and free his people. God wanted his children all to Himself, and they were in captivity, slaved, oppressed, and and so God sent Moses to Egypt. And Moses said, "I don't want to go." And God said go, and, and many of you know that like resisting God is not a good idea, and, and in the end, there's a good chance he's going to win, right? He may let you have your way until you say, God, I made a mistake, and so he went, and God sent him a staff that could do miracles, and he sent him with, his, with Aaron, who could be his messenger, because Moses, one of his excuses was, I, I don't talk that well, and, and, and then through a set of miracles, 10, ten of them, 10 different plagues, the, the most powerful person at the time, the Pharaoh that was the most powerful person on the earth at that moment, God had won and got him to go to his knees and say, take your people and get out of here, my paraphrase. And he, and he sent them out. And so they went on this wilderness, and then God showed up, and God said, you're you're my people, and I am your God. And he completely provided for them. Like they were totally helpless in this desert. And when they needed food, God sent food from heaven. And when they needed water, God sent water from a rock. And when they got sick and tired of the manna, which is like equivalent, I don't know what that is, Ezekiel bread, oatmeal, I don't don't know. Anyway, whatever it is, we're paying like six bucks a pop for it, and God was giving it free to over a million people, like six million dollars of food a day. And so he's giving all of this, and he's showing his provision, and in addition to that, God is showing his presence to them in the form of a pillar of a cloud or fire. And he says, just follow me, wherever I go, you go. And he says, so the people have experienced his miraculous power, freedom from oppression. They saw God's eminence in essence and everything and the weight of his authority and they go. And then Moses goes to go get what we know the 10 commandments the first time around. And while he's up there, um, you know, while Moses away, the people play. And they, if you remember the story, while he's away, um, they're deciding that this God that they've been witnessing and seeing his power and seeing his fire and seeing the pillar and, and seeing his miraculous provision for them, it wasn't enough. Maybe we just need to get all of our jewelry, melt it all down, and we'll just create an idol again and we'll worship that. We'll have God. We love God, um, but we also want to keep this over here. And um, do you think God was upset by that? Yeah, you think Moses was upset by that? Yeah, yeah, they were both furious. They had trampled on God's very being when they did that. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Exodus 33. That's what will be our text today in Exodus chapter 33. God comes to Moses and he orders them. At this point, this incident had happened where they turned at the leadership of Aaron, the, the priest. Shame on him and they had disobeyed God, found that he wasn't enough, and God came to Moses, and he said this in Exodus 33 verse 3, he says, he says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God saying to his people, you go to the promised land, I'm going to send a couple of angels ahead of you, and those angels are going to take down your enemy, and he listed all the ites that they were going to take down. He says, so I'm giving you the land of milk and honey because that's what I promised and I'm God and I keep my promises. But he says these words in verse three, Exodus 33, but, but I will not go with you. You can have this land because that was the promise, but I'm, my very presence is not coming with you because you are a stiff-necked people and if I go, I might destroy you on the way. How would you like to hear those words if you were one of those million? God is not coming with you. If I do go with you, I'm so upset with you because of your rebellion, I might destroy you. And says, but you go ahead. Go to the land, have it, but have it without me. It's a pretty big deal stiff neck by the way just to explain that that's the illustration back then they would have understood it in the form of an ox so you had your ox and you're tilling the land and once in a while you try to get your ox to to go over this way to the right or to the left and but your ox decides that it wants to go its own way and so it locks in in its neck and it says I will not be led I will not be guided I'm going this way and I don't care how hard you pull That's that's stiff-necked picture, Old Testament. They were stubborn, they were stiff, self-willed, and they were arrogant, pride. And God says, you can go your way, but I'm going another way. This is how God's people responded to the news. I want you to listen to this. They, They weren't ignorant of God's greatness. They weren't ignorant of it. In verse 4, Exodus 33 says, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. In other words, we're not getting dressed, we're not going out, we're not going anywhere without you. And they were saddened by it, like, God, we need you. So one part of the heart says, God, we need you, and the other part of the heart says, God, you're not enough. It's true with us, by the way. They wanted God's provision, they enjoyed that, but they also wanted to have things that they liked. I like his mercy and grace, but I don't agree with all of his dictates about fill in the blank, about sex or sexuality, or about being intoxicated, or being submission to authority, or forgiveness, or turning the other cheek. We like like the whole package of God, except these things over here we want to have our way. But the people realized that the absence of God's presence would be devastating to them. Like him not being there would be devastating. Because they had witnessed his magnificent presence. They had already seen God at work. And they realized at that moment, God said, I'm not going, that we need you to go. Here's what happened in Exodus 33:7. There was a practice here we're going to learn what God saw, every, what the people saw of God every day. It says this, now Moses used to take a tent and he pitched it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Would you like that? If you wanted to know what God thought, you just went down over here outside the camp and you went to the tent. God, I don't know what to do. Should I marry this person? Let me go to the tent. Should, should I, should I do, what should I do here in my family? Just go to the tent. That's where God is. And God spoke to Moses in there. And, he, and the reason God is outside the camp here is because the people's sin are an abomination to God. And, and light has no place in the darkness and so Because of God's holiness and greatness, the people had to be over here and God had to be over there and only permitting Moses into his presence as representative of the people. As Moses went into the tent, verse 9, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. And while the Lord spoke with Moses... Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent just picture this you're here at lighthouse and across the street at the corner. God has a tabernacle, a place where He goes. And you could see, just looking with your own eyes during the day, that God would come down in the form of a pillar of a cloud, and you knew it was His presence there. And so this is how they responded. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. They stood at their own tents and they gazed and they stood and they worshipped God. Why? Because they're seeing his glory, at least in small part. So here's what happened. Moses met with God and I just love these words. They're just inconceivable to me except as a Christian they should be natural and I should understand them but they seem foreign sometimes and verse 11 and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face God would speak now he didn't look at him right in the face because he couldn't do that and live it just means that God's presence made himself available to Moses in some way that would not kill Moses and he says it this way as one speaks to a friend he met with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And Moses makes this appeal to God. And he says, God, you know, I, I, I have your favor. And we're, we're friends. And, and these are your people. Just remember, these are your people. And, in other words, he's saying, God, please, don't send us without you. The Lord replied to Moses' appeal, verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Notice what he says. My presence, it's not my angels that you need to fight your battle. We'll send those too. It's not manna and it's not quail. It's not water that you need. It's not tools, it's not weapons. These aren't the things you need. What you need really is my presence. For every Christian, the reality in your life is you need the presence of God. We do. He says, I'll give you rest. This means that mo- when you go and I'll go with you, then, then I'm giving you rest because then you don't have to do all the work. You, you don't have to do all the fighting and toiling and providing because I want to do that for you, would say God. I, I wanna, I'd love to do that for you. If I go with you, you don't have to worry about it. There's a difference between omnipresence, by the way, God is everywhere, and manifest presence. I'm just If you don't get this, it's okay. I just, it just took me a while to understand this. The omnipresence of God is the fact that, that the scripture says that the glory of God fills the entire world. It fills the earth. The glory of God, that means he, he's going about the world. His spirit goes, his angels are there. He's convicting people of sin. He's written on them according to Solomon. He's written eternity on their hearts. They, they're aware of things that you, people of the world, even if they're total atheists, they're aware of things and they don't know why. They think the source is them and their goodness, but actually God has gone through the whole world and it's all under him. And he convicts people and he had, gives them a conscience until they are so depraved in their rejection and their stiff-neckedness that, that God just abandons his presence from them. This is what you're seeing today. He takes it away. So, but the manifest presence of God is just it's like God showing up and you just know it's him. and it's, it's the things that happen here at Lighthouse in your life that say this would never have happened if God weren't present. Like if he didn't do it, this could never have happened. His, that's his manifest presence. Here's how Moses responded to God's... He said this, Then Moses said to him, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How how will anyone know that we're different from everybody else unless you're here? Because apart from you, we're just a good show. we We can make things look like God and do all kinds of traditions and ornaments and we can do the external circumstances. We can do all that. But without you, like, there's nothing that separates us from the world. That's the point. He says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? And so what distinguishes God's people from everybody else is God's presence. So God agreed to go. And I just want to tell you this for for the Christian. This is... God going and we talk about the fear of the Lord and and there's a lot of misunderstanding about that I want to give you a true definition of the fear of the Lord for the Christian the fear of God is not the terror or the fear of his wrath that that is that's not it we you that's been overcome by what Jesus did on the cross and your faith in that holy fear is being terrified of being apart from God's presence That's real fear. This is the fear Moses had in the people. Like, I am terrified to do anything apart from you. Uh, We need you. So Moses asked next this remarkable thing of God. It's just a remarkable request. I would never have thought to ask it myself. A lot of you have heard the term in the scriptures, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. And so Moses asked for a taste of God not just a pillar, not just a fire, he wanted more, because he knew he wasn't getting it all, and so here's what Moses asked, verse 18, Exodus 33, then Moses said, now show me your glory, show me your glory, I want to see your glory, what's glory? It's it's the full essence of God, in Hebrew, it's the weight of God, it's the sum of all, Everything that he is, it's not one thing, it's the I am. He's like everything, beginning, the end, compassion. He's love, he's not a verb love, he, he is that. He's the essence of mercy. He's the essence also of justice. Like it's just his total presence and essence. It's the sum of his majesty, the sum of his sovereignty, his total control over the universe, his holiness. His power, his beauty, all of it on display is his glory. And Moses said, I, give, me, give me some of that. And God goes on to tell Moses, yeah, all right. And, and he, but he gives him some warnings. And, he, and I just want you to hear what God says about the essence of his presence. And the Lord said, in verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause my goodness. Notice what God says. He doesn't say glory. He's he's giving an attribute. All goodness, real goodness is in God. And I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, my greatness, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. My mercy will go before you. My goodness wanting the best for you. My mercy and restraining my wrath from you. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. No one tells me what to do. I'll have compassion on whom I want to have compassion. But he said, here's what he says to Moses about his glory You cannot see my face, for no one may see and live. Moses, if I let you see me face to face in my full glory, you're going to die. There's there's no way because darkness and light, there's no way together. You all know this because God shows us this every single day. At nighttime, you look up and maybe you see the stars in the sky. If you've got a great telescope, you're you're seeing our galaxy in the Milky Way. You're seeing the amazing structure. If you've got a super-powered telescope, you're seeing other galaxies out there. You're seeing the existence of God's creation. And He's saying, Moses, every day when the sun comes up, my sun is the center of the universe, and when the sun comes up, everything else is gone away, because in view of the light, darkness is gone, all the stars in the galaxies, as great as they are, because I put them in place, they're all gone, because light overcomes the darkness, and every day you see that, which is why God says in his word that no one will have an excuse. The heavens declare the splendor of the Lord, his mighty works in his hands. And so the great I am is gonna pass in front of him. And God is pretty much saying to Moses, Moses, if you look directly into the sun, your eyes in seconds your eyes will burn out. With a single word, I spoke into existence 50 billion galaxies. With a single word, I I spoke into billions of stars. I, I did it in a single word. And therefore, if I let you see this greatness and your sinfulness together, you're going down. So God had a solution. He said he's going to give Moses a taste and he puts him in the cleft of a rock and hides him behind there, and he says, Moses, I'm not going to let my face pass before you. I'm going to give you my back. And here's what happened when Moses was up all alone in the presence of God. What he does what anyone in the presence of God has ever done, which you will do on the last day. He fell to his face right to the ground. He fell like a dead man. He just went down on his face. God then, and speed the story, just took him, he gave him, here, take out Here's two tablets. Write these down. He gave them a new set of tablets for the Ten Commandments. And Moses came down. Do you all remember what happened when he came down from being? Just a taste of the presence of God. He couldn't look at him in the face. God's glorious eminence got on Moses. And he only saw the back It was never the fullness of God. It was just like a portion of God's presence radiated and reflected off of Moses. note there that Moses was up for 40 days. Very similar to Moses. Jesus being out in the wilderness. When Moses went up, he came down with God's commandments. When Jesus came from his 40 days in his wilderness, he came down and fulfilled the law. He didn't bring the law. And then he said, "I will leave and write the law in your heart." Moses had the his radiance was so great he didn't realize it at first, and obviously people told him, "Like Moses, you're you're shining. Don't look at us." And he had to wear a veil when he was with the people. And then he went to the presence of God. He took the veil off. You know what God's greatest provision for Moses was? It wasn't the manna. It wasn't the quail. It wasn't his divine provision. It wasn't the staff and the miracles that all happened. The greatest provision was that Moses got God for himself. That's it. He gave him himself. Recently, um, a lot of you have heard about a, 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 I don't know what you call it, a revival, whatever, at Asbury College There were people that are experiencing the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, not as omnipotence, not as omnipresence, but as presence. And so people flocked there so much so that the college said we can't contain the traffic or the number of people, and they had to move it off-site to to some other place. People need, brethren, we need the presence of God. We cannot do this alone. We dare not venture out on this alone. Was that Promise Keepers, gosh, this may have been over twenty probably twenty five years ago. The Promise Keepers events, it's two and a half days of singing and 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 men just in full voice and, and outstanding preaching and convicting Word of God. And I just remember experiencing the presence of God in such a real way. One of the first times i really Like, it was so much that like, I just wanted to confess all my sin, and brothers around me are doing the same. Like, they're just, they're just, like, saying, man, I I can't, I didn't know this was in me, but it's in me, and I want to just confess it to you. And it was just, like, it's just, the presence changed everything. And I'll tell you this, that this church and any other of God's places of worship, nothing of any value is going to get done without the presence of God. It just isn't. You can manufacture it. You have the best worship in the world. You're going to have the the greatest program in the world. All that's fine. You're going to have the greatest greeting team experience. You can do all that, the best building. But without the presence of God, nothing of value is going to last. Your life the same way. Your life is nothing of value you're going to have that's going to stick and make such a difference without God's presence. You are separated unto him to being renewed in his presence experience the radiance of his glory while moses got some of god's glory on him here's the truth take this with you while moses got some of the glory on him we have god's glory in us that is an amazing truth like i just want you to take that in for a moment like just take that in it's like wait a minute God's glory, his spirit, this, the same spirit that David said, look, do not take your spirit from me. Do, I, do, do not even dare take your spirit off of me, God. I couldn't bear it. God, Moses, and the people, do not take your presence from me. In the same way, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Like, we have the presence of God in us. Like, we, we go boldly to the throne of Grace. Like, he says this, Paul says this, like, we don't put veils over our face anymore. We don't need to. We have been made clean and right so that we can stand before the altar of God. So do it. That's what he's saying. I'm gonna just give you a picture of what God's glory looks like. In Isaiah, he's a prophet, a messenger of God. God spoke to him in mighty ways. And In verse five, God told Isaiah going out, and and he he proclaimed to the people, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. Woe to you. In chapter 6 in Isaiah, just a few verses down, Isaiah comes before the very presence of God. And in the presence of God, you know what he said? Woe is me. Woe is me. Unclean lips falls to his face before an almighty God. I am undone. And Daniel, another prophet, Daniel describes being in the presence of God. Just get a picture of of God's essence, the weight of who he is. He describes him as his body was like topaz, his, his face like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. He said, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and they hid themselves, just being near the presence of God. So I was left alone, gazing at the great vision, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless in the presence of God. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep and my face to the ground. That's what the presence of God is like. We have another picture of the apostle John. Sent the sentence out on the Isle of Patmos, and Jesus Himself gives him a revelation. Write this down. This is what it's going to be like in the end. Revelation 1. John describes seeing the presence of God. He says the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, his face like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. So imagine the presence, the weight of God's presence. And he lives in you. And for us, and we're a lot like this, we like substitutes like the children of Israel did. We, we substitute, beware of it. And, and, and this is fault of teachers like myself. We love God's grace and mercy and that definitely is the emphasis. But if we limit God to being a buddy, if God is just your buddy and your friend, we will find him more for cuddling but not much help in a hurricane or a tornado. If he's just your cuddle buddy, and he should be, we've said that, hang out with Jesus, like hang out with him, talk with him, he enjoys that, he loves it great, he's your Abba Father, no question, he's Daddy. But in there, that his essence, his glory, is far more than your buddy. Do not exchange the glory of God for a cheap substitute. Paul gave this warning to the church in Rome and he wrote it like this in Romans 1 and 3 he said although they claimed to be wise the people what they became fools they became foolish how because they ex- and exchanged the glory of the immortal God they exchanged the glory in his essence for what for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles and so for those that know the reference of Jacob and Esau we risk Selling out our birthright before a glorious God for a pot of stew. That's always the temptation. God doesn't dispense like a pharmacist. He's not dispensing, oh, I'm going to give you a dose of strength here. Let me write you a script or a dose of power here and write a script. You need some love. I'm going to write that out. I'm going to give you some comfort. Let me write you a script for that, some peace. How about some joy? And then you go and you, and you go to the pharmacist and you say, like, please dispense this for me. What God gives you is himself, and the world wants it, and you know it because it's in the heart of every person, man and woman and child, the desire to want the presence of God. Some of you that old enough and remember, maybe you had it in high school or college, you heard this theory of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Remember that very well. In and and Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, he just said like all mankind has these basic needs and he built this pyramid and then you have secondary and then it goes up until your final need. To, and, he, and he theorized that the need of all mankind is for you to be the best you you can be. That was Maslow's theory. He, the self-actualization was the term. That you, you just need to be all of you. What, what people don't quote now in colleges and in the books when they quote Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs is 1971, Maslow had other thoughts about that. He, he rethought his theory because he, he had all these subjects that were in this study and these were the basic needs, but he found out over time that the subjects of his study, when they got to the final pinnacle of the pyramid of being, seeing that they were all that they could be, they, they were unhappy and it wasn't enough. Once they had all their needs met and got to the final need their significance, their glory... Once they got to their glory, it was like, I thought finally I'm going to get up here. I thought finally I'm going to be satisfied and happy all the time and realize that they were still empty in their life. And brethren, we are to protect God's glory at all costs and not take it for ourselves. In fact, this is man's main mission in life. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said, you want to know what your purpose is in life? You want to know what your main mission? You have other missions. You have other callings. But this is your main purpose for existence. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do is for his applause and pointing to him and his eminence. And and we're like to just stand back and say, no, it's him. It's not me. It's him. De- deflecting the God's glory is not as much humility as it is honesty just like being honest like really can I do anything of any value apart from yeah you have gifts and God's given you some things and you're really talented at them. it's wonderful maybe with the school for him got certified it but at the very end that that anything of any great value God did he gave you the gift glorify him and the verb is to honor him worship applause so the question is, is how do I give God, how do I give God the applause in my work? And, and, and how do I give him the glory that he is due in my life as a student? How do I do that with my money? How do I do that with my time? Like, am I given glory or am I going back and manufacturing these idols that I still have in my heart? Like, or if I substituted God for something less? Some of you, May remember the famous baseball player Joe DiMaggio. Great, he went to war, he left professional baseball like so many athletes did. And when he got back in 1945, he, he took his son Joe Jr., four years old, he, he took him to a Yankees game. And as he's sitting in the stands, like people see Joe, they start recognizing that's Joe DiMaggio here. And they started to the chant, and just over the few people, Joe. Joe DiMaggio, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, Joe, and then the whole place is erupting, the whole stadium is singing, and, and little Joe Jr. looks up at his dad and goes, see dad, they all know who I am. <laughs> True story. That's what we do, That's what we do, but you know what God says? God told Isaiah, he says, I will not yield my glory to another. I will give not my, my, my praise. You could, you could call that arrogance on his heart, but he's, it's not arrogant, to be honest. Like, this is the truth. Like, everything, he's greater than all of it. So I'm not going to yield that to you. I, I'm not sharing that with you. It goes to him. He'll raise you up on the last day. You'll get your glory in the last day. You will get your glory in the last day. But right now, it's all him. And it will be all him there as well. Amen. Amen. And you don't tamper with God's glory. Herod found that out, didn't he? Some of you remember in Acts 12. It's a sad story. I love reading it over and over because it's just like, is there any justice in the world? You ever ask that? Is there any justice in the world? And you have the most powerful man as governor over Judea and Galilee a guy named Herod you've heard of King Herod and, he, and he's prancing around and the people gave him a great ovation shouting it's the voice of God not a man that's what they said here it's the voice of God not a man and instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with sickness why because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God So he was consumed with worms and died. Historical evidence shows that it was five days after God's declaration that he went was taken out. In the last day, in the very last day, there will be people who will beg, absolutely plead with God, this according to his word in Revelation, that they will plead with God, God, please do not let me see your face please shield it have the scripture says in, in revelation 6, have the rocks fall on me this is what it says in revelation 6:16 6, in the last day when god makes his full manifest presence known they call to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb you know what the great news here children of god you don't need to worry about this you will not be shouting, God, please protect me from your face. Because of what Jesus did. Like you, you, you will be the most blessed state because before him, because you have trusted and put your confidence in him, because of what Jesus did in coming here and, and living a perfect life and being totally innocent and taking the wrath of his father upon himself on that cross. Shedding his blood to atone symbolically over the sins of all mankind so that you would be righteous even though you're not right. Even though I'm not right, God would make us righteous, white as the driven snow. And that when he did that, he he invites you into his presence that lives in you and to commune with him and and to be a child. And I just, like, here's my appeal to us. Brethren, as we take communion now. This is the time, this is what Jesus was talking about. He says in his word that, that he was the radiance of God's glory. He, he was the exact resemblance of what it was going to be. If By the way, if you need a communion cup, please just raise your hand. And so God made his presence available to you and me, to all of mankind that wants it. He made his presence, this powerful, eminent, sovereign, loving, merciful, just presence is available to you and I, but it was at a great cost. He came as a substitute for you. He took your penalty, the sin, the wrath of God on him. And he said, whoever would believe in him and trust him with their life, that Put their faith in him by grace that they would be rescued from the penalty of living life as an ox their own way and stiff-necked and he invites everyone in to his presence and so jesus said this in that last supper said, like i want you to remember this moment because this is the moment of this trusting that opens up the presence of god to you like his power so as you take this i just want you to think of this for a moment like the things in your life that are just so overwhelming to you, like so overwhelming, impossible, things that you've tried over and over again to do on your own and you've just failed and failed and failed. And God will say, but if you, if you tap into his presence, like that doesn't have to be true. Like that he can overcome things instantly. He could do it. Like he could, he could set us free in ways that we never imagined. A moment in his presence will do that to you. And so Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. feel the full weight of this. God, Moses had God's presence on him. You have God's presence in you if you're his. There had to be a sacrifice in order to make that happen. There had to be a shedding of blood one final time. They had been doing this for years in the temple. Going and every year taking their their lamb, their pigeon, and, and making a sacrifice to atone or make up for their sin. The priest did a big bull in order to cover all the sins that weren't covered here, just his own and every, all the people. And, and Jesus comes along and says, listen, this is the final sacrifice, the final sacrifice necessary. Before you had the law external, but now I'm gonna write it in your heart and he will fulfill it. So we took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the new promise I make with you. Take this and drink. Amen. As you sing, I just, a couple of reminders when we're, we're about to sing the hymn of his greatness, that um, in your heart, if you can do this, just ask God, God, please, would you reveal your presence? And God, would you reveal places where I've made substitutes for your presence and I'm, and I'm just quenching his spirit, that you would do that? You would just ask him to do that, that God, we would know your presence and then you worship him and you just by faith, even if you're not feeling it, that you just worship him. Those of you online, please join us in the worship of him. Would you all stand with me, please, as we sing to the greatness of God.